Welcome to Ideal Conditions, a Polygon podcast. From controlling temperature and humidity in buildings and food plants to restoring critical documents like x-rays and rare books, we're here to explore the challenges and solutions for interior climate management and remediation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ideal Conditions, a Polygon podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We really appreciate you listening along to some Polygon thought leadership as we explore different intersections of facilities management and your industries. As we explore today's main talking points, which are very timely and reflect a lot of important cultural history, I'll uh, get into what I mean here in a second. I want to make sure you're getting all the Polygon information and thought leadership you desire. So make sure you're going to our website polygongroup.com. Again, polygongroup.com for more information on solutions and services, obviously, but also for more episodes of this show and other pieces of content like videos, articles, blogs, and more. You can also subscribe to Ideal Conditions on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of Ideal Conditions, we're digging into uh, one of Polygon's work sectors and challenges that they face in facilities management, risk management, and disaster preparedness. Now, just to give some context here, when we think of our critical infrastructure that's most at risk to unexpected building challenges or climate events, things like housing, uh, utilities, and hospitals may come to mind. But what about our universities? our libraries, and their treasure trove of cultural history and literary documents, physical old manuscripts, pieces of art, et cetera, et cetera, right? Many important at-risk historical document, again, uh, pieces of art and first edition prints of cultural literary classics are housed in America's libraries and their colleges. And if we're being honest, one rogue fire, flood, uh, or building catastrophe, and those works could be gone in what's basically an instant, at least gone physically for good. So not to mention uh, the digital documents that are stored on library and university hard drives are also at risk if, say, uh, these floods or fires destroy a server room, right? So it's not like even the digital backups are 100% safe. So I bring this up because I want to pose the question for the podcast today. How likely is it that these important documents are actually at risk? And what should these institutions be doing to build some facilities resiliency, both proactive resiliency as well as reactive, right? Being able to address the small problems before they're big ones and being able to react to the big ones when you have no other choice. Well, for insights today, I'm joined by two great thought leaders from the Polygon group. I'd like to uh, welcome First up, Matt Deesers, National Product Manager for Polygon, and Nick Klein, Director of Client Development, also with Polygon. Matt, Nick, how are y'all doing? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's a real pleasure getting to chat with both of you. Thank you again for joining us to share some perspectives on document recovery and more importantly, the factors that are making this challenge a priority for universities and libraries, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Uh, Before I do that, I want to lay the groundwork some. uh, As we explore document recovery, uh, and if you've checked out any of our other content, 
you'll notice there are often two main strats in document recovery. And this is similar to most security and facility management investments, if we're being honest too. So this shouldn't be a foreign concept here, but again, the two main strats are responsive strategy, as well as a preparedness strategy or a proactive one, right? You need to be able to both respond when there is something in the immediate short term that is critical in nature, but you also need to be able to build resiliency and uh, oversight strategies to try to prevent those things from happening in the first place. So can you go ahead and break down for us to start why most institutions have both reactive as well as proactive steps to document recovery? I kind of hinted at it, but give us your perspective and how does each you know, both reactive and proactive, how do both of those intersect with universities and libraries document needs? Yes, I, I think that's a great question. And, um, you know, universities, they have, as you mentioned, a treasure trove of collections, both physical and in the digital world. And a lot of these collections are unique and priceless. Um, you know, they are one of a kind, and they go above and beyond to protect these items. Now, the best way to protect items in the event of a disaster is to have a plan in place. Uh, that's where the two sides of the protection come into place. Um, you know, you can be preparedness, and then you can also have reactiveness. Um, in order to react to a disaster, you have to have a plan in place to help guide you through that reaction, and that's where the preparedness plan comes in place. And Polygon can work with customers, specifically universities, to develop a preparedness plan, an emergency plan, um, that's catered to that university and to their collections to best respond in the event in the event of a disaster. That's the the other side to that, you know, from a planning and preparedness standpoint is you know monitoring. Um, if you can see that there's been moisture ingress, if you can see that a toilet overflowed or whatever it might be, the relative humidity in the space is too high. Um, these are all things we can monitor. So if you see this trending up through some sort of a you know air monitoring, air quality control system, or um, you know, ground moisture sensing system, you know, again, on the preparedness side, hey, I see there's an issue, I can go in, I can do something before it becomes, um, you know, really problematic to the relics, keepsakes, whatever it is that you might have in your space. And, you know, just to give our institutions that we're talking about today some credit, it's not like they don't know that they have a treasure trove of historical documents and items that need safekeeping, right? I mean, I, I think back on my time at my university, at the University of Missouri, and I would occasionally go into the rare documents part of the library because they had some cool comics I'd like to check out. But I remember there were plenty of important documents there that you couldn't even approach uh, without washing your hands, without wearing special gloves to not get oils on any of the pages. Some of them you couldn't even take out of the glass cases or they would exist only in temperature rooms handled only by quality and trained staff. So it's not like these documents aren't already a safety priority and aren't already treated with care. But what may not be intersecting with the facilities. Uh, strategy for taking care of these documents are major macro trends that are pushing uh, these risks to the forefront and also in turn making a responsive and proactive strategy a priority. So I want to break that down a little bit. Can you give us your perspective on how likely you see these issues being for universities and libraries, right? Is this a common risk that they face or is this more of a one in a million risk that they should just at least make sure they're not caught off guard on, I guess, lay it out in comparison to some of the other facility management needs these institutions have. Break that down. Yeah, those are really good points. And, you know, one of the things that 
we've seen lately, and I, I think it's attributed to you know increasing temperatures, all this sort of stuff. We've actually seen an increase in the issues of even just general warehouse storage and things like that. So I think what we're finding is there's more moisture in the air than there used to be. Um, and so that's where using something like exact air, you can start to see that and trend it. Um, you know, I've, I've seen, again, not even just libraries and, and hospitals, universities, things like that, but even general warehouse space where it's like, man, we've been doing this for 40, 50, 60 years. We never had problems before. And all of a sudden now we've got microbial growth and all kinds of, you know, important things. So it, it's something that can creep up on you. And that's where something like, you know, our exact air platform can help monitor that. And we can set alarms so that it's proactive. You know, you, you see the issue coming and you can do something about it before it causes real problems. Yeah. And, and I would say to that point, um, you know, the climate in general is changing or has changed. And as a result, you know, there is a higher uh, risk that's out there for damage caused by moisture. And more and more in our industry, we see storm damage, cat catastrophic damage caused by hurricanes. And as a result, um, businesses, both public and private, are more invested on the proactive side um, in building up and developing their emergency preparedness plans. You know, I've seen it in my own experience in this industry over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, you know, when, when I started, a only a handful of businesses really had a serious disaster preparedness plan. Now it's kind of flipped the other way where there's only a handful that don't have a, a plan in place. And um, a plan for their documents or for their keepsakes is typically supplemental or part of a larger plan that does cover their full risk management responsibilities and all of their facilities. We're going to get more specific on some of the, again, specific risks that could impact these important documents and items. Uh, but some of them might be front of mind for people as they are the usual suspects of a facility's destruction. That would be floods or water damage and then fires. Uh, both of these are hard to predict, um, but they are also hard to um, mitigate when they happen. So it's important to build some safety nets to predict them. Uh, now, are there any other risks that matter here, basically, right? Besides the usual suspects of flood and fire, there are things like pest infestations, mass freezes, you could think of um, HVAC malfunctions. I mean, the options are almost limitless. Can you break down which other risks you see as relevant to our facilities conversation and strategies today and why these also seem to be um, important risks to prioritize? Yes, I, I think the two that you mentioned, flood and fire, are obviously the two uh, most at risk. Um, but I would say, in addition to that, you know, just climate control in general, humidity in these spaces can cause or lead to a lot of what we call secondary damages, whether that be mold, uh, form of mildew, um, warping of the materials. Um, so I would say climate control and really monitoring the climate inside a space is something that's of a concern to these universities and libraries. And another one is pest, um, kind of where, that's, where that storage space is designated uh, will a lot of times lead to artifacts and, and records and documents being stored in the basement or maybe not the most cleanliness areas or the areas that are most accessible uh, by people, but in, um, they can always be accessed by pests. So yeah, that is another major service that we will provide for these customers, specifically universities and libraries that have archives stored 
in in basement areas that suffer pest infestation as a result. Well, those are really good points. And you know, the other the other thing that we've seen kind of lately too is you know extreme cold weather. Uh, we look back earlier this year, and I mean Texas had a deep freeze. You know, when they just don't get that very often. So you know, the whole state had you know pipes in buildings that were in places that you normally, if it were to get that cold, you just wouldn't put them there. So again, being kind of aware and on the front, partnering with someone like, you know, like Polygon, um, we can kind of help sometimes spearhead those and be like, oh, by the way, you're one of our partners that we have a preparedness plan with. We see this cold spike coming. Have you taken precautions? You know, we have a whole nother side of the business that's temporary climate solutions. Maybe we need to add some heat to an attic space or something like that if we see extreme weather coming. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of ways that we can help that aren't maybe the the natural or you know or ways you've thought about in the past, but you know there are things that we can do and things we can help with. All right, team. Now that we've got a better picture on what the main risk factors are, I want to talk some major trends that are putting this front of mind for facility managers in both of these sectors. Uh, again, these are the macro trends I mentioned earlier. Let's start with this big one: weather climate change, right? It's kind of hard to escape. Uh, this last year has been a catalog of some of the worst climate disasters we could imagine. I mean, you had all the big hitters. You had fires across Greece and California and Australia. You had floods from hurricanes and tropical storms, uh, as well as co uh, excuse me, corresponding mudslides like we saw in China. Uh, we had major ice storms and freezes in the Midwest and South here in the United States. Texas, where I'm based out of, got hit hard in February of 2021. So again, that's just sort of a high-level overview. But if we get even more timely, September is a, um, a pretty a predictable month for hurricanes and tropical storms. So uh, this is obviously a major threat to these institutions and to their safe keeping of documents. Can you break down how you see these major weather events impacting facilities strategies as well as elevating these risks to be a priority? Yeah, I think you touched on all of the uh, different events that have happened and, and it's they've all happened within the last year. And um, most recently the was hurricane season. Um, you know, the end of the summer, early fall is, is prime hurricane season. And we responded to several different events, uh, primarily in the Gulf and in, in the east and northeast of the United States. And um, when you go through events like that, that have damage on a catastrophic level, on a widespread level, um, you know, you, you're, you're responding to customers who had damage, who suffered direct damage. Uh, and that's what we have been doing for the past month now. Uh, is, is responding to those customers and, and helping them through their emergencies. Um, but then also is, is kind of a, a fallout of a, a live or a large spread event like that is customers who may not have suffered damage, but now it is on the front of their mind. Um, you know, they, they, they maybe see some of their colleagues who go through an event or, or have damage and need help. And they start to think, you know, if that happened to me, you know, how do I react? Um, do I have a plan in place? Uh, so we're seeing a lot of that now as well. Customers reaching out, um, starting to develop an emergency preparedness plan to be prepared in the event that a disaster happens to them. Um, you know, they in some ways see themselves as being lucky and not being, um, if uh, not suffering any damage from a recent event. So um, yeah, we're, we're seeing both uh, response to emergency situations, uh, customers that suffered direct damage, as well as customers now who want to revisit or or initiate a disaster preparedness plan so that they are prepared in the event that it happens to them. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the other, the other kind of side to that coin is, um, you know, with, 
with a company like Polygon that's that's national and even international, um, we've seen a lot of different things, right? So someone who's located in the Northeast is used to dealing with the cold, you know, and that sort of thing. Someone in the Gulf is used to dealing with hurricanes and high humidity. But when that hurricane comes up and hits the Northeast and they're not as used to it, well, the great thing is about having Polygon as a partner that we kind of know how those things work and how those things go. So we can tr help transfer that knowledge that we have from other places and help come up with a plan. Um, you know, so, you know, you might be thinking about, well, I'm in the Gulf. I get hurricanes. Okay. Well, by the way, should we maybe talk about what happens if we do get a polar vortex that comes down as far as, you know, Louisiana or wherever you're at? Um, that hasn't happened yet, but it could someday. Would you like us to help pencil get a pencil together a plan? Um, yeah, those are the sorts of things that we think about as a national and international supplier um, that kind of help us be be of value to our customers and clients. And I would I would just add to it another common um, experience that we have, um, and it's more a, a cyclical occurrence is a spike in humidity in general um, in certain areas of the country at certain times of the year. On the Northeast at the end of the summer, you know, typically around the, the prime hurricane season, uh, you know, you, you may not suffer a direct hit from a hurricane, so to speak, um, but you will suffer from the humidity that is spiked. And recently we've received a lot of calls from universities and libraries um, that are just seeing spikes of humidity inside of their spaces of upwards of 80% relative humidity. And Polygon can work with them to help stabilize their building uh, before that leads to any secondary damage like mold uh, or other moisture issues in the facility. And we have a lot of different techniques that we can put together and, and develop specifically for customers that center around that preparedness aspect. Another macro trend I want to touch on is one we've been seeing in a lot of industries. This would be digital transformations in general. Uh, you know, we've seen basically every industry face their own version of digital transformation. But if we look at universities, museums, governments, etc., they've seen a digitization of their documents and their institutions operations at large. Um, mostly this has led to uh, these institutions trying to preserve their documents digitally, as well as build some data flow, uh, data analysis and data action resiliency as the influx of data increases as well. So uh, I'm wondering if in the process of uh, digitizing these important documents. If folks have discovered issues that need to be addressed before scanning, as well as post scanning, once these uh, are digital assets that now need to be taken care of, give us your perspective there. Yes, I, I think that's a great question. And there, there's really two sides to that with uh, the digitization of records and kind of the modern trend with that as a whole or a macro trend in the industry. Uh, the first is, um, you know, what records have already been digitized or backed up digitally? Uh, does the customer have a record or inventory of those files that have been scanned or imaged to a digital version? Uh, that helps them best respond or help prepare for an emergency if that does happen. Uh, they have an inventory in place and they know what documents they have that backup version on that they, may not, they might not need to be saved. And then the other side of that is you know, if they don't have those documents backed up, but they're looking to have them or, or have plans on imaging those documents and records and files in the future, uh, when an event happens like a water damage or like a fire damage, a lot of times those services do intersect. And it's a, it's a, it's a natural point in time to now take those 
records that have been stored in a basement and now are damaged by water or mold or smoke, clean them and restore them to a point where they can be scanned and imaged. And then Polygon can help them kind of take that next step um, and take those records and transform them into a digital version uh, so that those physical records do not need to be returned and the customer can move forward with their electronic records plan. Yeah. And, you know, this is a trend I don't foresee slowing down. Uh, if anything, coming out of COVID, we may see these industries um, actually push harder because of the acceleration of the digital transformations of critical digital infrastructure, data storage, and more because of COVID. So, yeah, I think this is going to continue to be a priority. Now, speaking of COVID, uh, this segues almost perfectly into my last point that I want to bring up, my last macro trend. That would be the sort of return to a um, pre-COVID life, you know, as much as that's possible, but basically just our post-COVID situation where we're seeing universities and libraries come back to uh, routine operations after COVID and discovering some issues around their facilities. Um, you know, they're looking through their archives for signs of damages since there were not uh, the usual in-person touch points and oversight measures. Uh, maybe, you know, HVACs were left off for weeks at a time. This could have compounding issues around taking care of these sensitive documents and facilities. So give us your perspective on how you see this return post-COVID uh, influencing some of these strategies. Yeah, with COVID, you did see a lack of monitoring and management of spaces. I think people were, you know, in into the virtual uh, work from home uh, state. And yeah, the, the buildings and the spaces did not have the maintenance that they were used to. And as a result, uh, there were issues. Um, you know, as buildings sit vacant, they will um, have problems. The more that they're vacant, the more that, that these spaces are left unchecked, uh, the more problems that will arise. And in this case, a lot of times, the first thing is the humidity or the climate, um, you know, especially in libraries where uh, humidity can spike easily and cause damage to the collections and to the space itself. Um, I think that we're seeing more and more calls um, from customers as they start to, um, you know, come back to these offices and to these spaces and, and they're finding these problems and we're working with them on a variety of different levels, whether it's climate control, um, stabilizing their collections, um, providing disaster preparedness plans, but all of these are, are all coming together and culminating as a result of the lack of monitoring during the, uh, the last year and a half to two years while people were home with the pandemic. And I think, you know, something that people didn't really think about during the pandemic was, you know, all of these buildings and systems, they were designed with their, you know, general HVAC systems to, mon to maintain certain conditions. However, that, that design included heat load from people, lighting, you know, different things like that. While everybody was at home, the lights were off. The people weren't adding the thermal load. The doors weren't getting open. There's a bunch of heat load that was missing that caused the HVAC systems to not run the way that they were intended to. So, um, you know, that, that's, again, the type of thing that I think, you know, we all learned some lessons during this and the types of things that we can think about a little bit more now. Um, but like Matt mentioned, um, if we were, you know, if more of us were monitoring things a little bit closer, we could have started to see, you know, alarms and trends before there were issues. Um, and then we could have proactively come in and done something about it. And, you know, I guess if we can pull a silver lining from any of this, hopefully, uh, you know, adjusting to this time away has been a learning lesson for facility managers for why it's so important to build out these proper responsive and oversight strategies. Uh, and, you know, I'm curious to see how that applies moving forward. So we've laid out the main macro trends 
what I want to do now is give some more specific examples of some of these risks in action. Uh, so we're going to lay out two core ones here. These are things that you know went wrong for universities and um, archival areas with uh, important documentation like we've been discussing. Uh, but we're also going to start to talk about Polygon's role in all of this. Uh, in these two examples, Polygon played a major role in helping fix the situation. So we're going to start to bring in Polygon's solutions and strategies more concretely into the conversation. So let's start with example number one. Uh, excuse me. This would be the Boston Public Library and its rare books department. This was maybe five-ish years ago, five to six years ago. There was a mold outbreak in the medieval document section. Uh, there was one specific document that started to have major white mold. And there was the fear that this was now going to spread across the entire uh you know, archival set of medieval documents, which would be a huge loss. And so I'm wondering if you could break down here, what was the challenge, right? What was the reasoning why we saw this outbreak? And then what was the solution? How did Polygon strategize around solving the situation? Yes, yeah, no, that, that was a project we had worked on a few years ago. And in that case, it was a climate issue. Uh, there was a spike in humidity. It wasn't from anything direct, like a hurricane or a direct event. Uh, it was more just a... Um, product of the environment outside and, and, and the humidity raising outside uh, leaked into the building and they have um, a, a valuable and um, priceless connection, a collection of materials that unfortunately are primarily made of paper, uh, which will attract mold. And in this case, that's what happened. Mold did, out, did break out and bloom on some of the materials and started to spread. Uh, Polygon was able to stabilize the climate first with climate-controlled equipment, dehumidifiers, heating and cooling uh, units to help control the environment and produce an environment that mold could not bloom in. And then after that, we took the collections themselves and isolated them and treated them for the mold through a cleaning process and sterilization process uh, so that the mold was deactivated or eliminated the, that was on the collections and the collections were able to be returned to their original location um, and I still believe are there this day without any rebloom or reappearance of mold. Could you get more specific too on how your strategies for resolving the situation were both proactive as well as reactive, right? How, how did you respond to the situation in the moment to save as many of these documents as possible as well to, excuse me, as well as then uh, build strategies for oversight for the Boston Public Library that they could apply moving forward to prevent another mold outbreak? Yeah, so the, the, the reactive stage um, was us coming out, um, controlling the climate, stabilizing the climate, and then stabilizing and treating the collections themselves. Um, I would say the proactive stage in, in this specific example came after the event. Um, after we had stabilized the space and the collection itself, we worked with the customer um, to come up with a plan for the future to limit a, another event like this happening. And typically what happens with mold is there's uh, mold needs three factors to grow. It needs a food source, which is something organic. In this case, the collection materials themselves, it needs moisture or humidity in this case, which we regulated with our climate control equipment. And then it, it needs darkness in this case, which is regulated by different light sources in the space itself. So we worked with the customer on controlling those three factors, those three key factors. And as a result, they've been able to eliminate any rebloom and control the climate within their space 
um, to not allow any mold to grow on any more of their collections. That's one of the really kind of things that, that we see a trend with in some of the more advanced facilities is that they're taking a, a long-term proactive approach. Um, you know, having a cloud-based system that can monitor the environment that sends alarms and, and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, we can actually watch what's happening. And if we control that component of moisture, you know, in the environment, um, we can we can greatly control the, the microbial growth and prevent it. So I think that that's one of the big takeaways that, that we have with, again, a lot of these advanced facilities is that, you know, they're taking that proactive step to say, hey, let's move to a cloud-based system. You know, um, we used to use a system where it was more manual, right? They walk up, they check uh, a sensor or a system, or it's a sensor that, you know, maybe you forget to change the batteries in, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, if you have a system that's cloud-based, alarming, send, telling multiple people that, hey, something's wrong, or I need a new battery, or whatever that might be, um, it's it's a lot more, you know, thorough um, than, than some of the traditional methods. Moving on to our second example, um, another, I guess, example here of day-to-day operations of a building that could potentially have turned into a mass loss of historical documents was the Museum of Chinese in America fire. This was a fire in their archive documents section in the museum. So yeah, go ahead and break this down. Similar questions here. What went wrong? Why did we see a fire in the first place? Uh, Why were the documents at risk from that fire, right? What were the strategies that uh, weren't in place yet that put them at risk? And how did Polygon step in to resolve? Yes, that was a severe fire that happened in Manhattan. Uh, The Museum of Chinese America is in lower Manhattan in the Chinatown area. Um, They had a, I believe it was from a a heating source that caused the fire. Um, It spread quickly as a result of the collections that were in there. Um, A lot of older historic materials, um, dry materials, so they, they caught and spread quickly by the fire. And a lot of times when you discuss fire damage restoration, um, you know, the first thing you'll think of is the smoke damage. Um, But in more cases, the most severe damage is water damage. The firemen will come in and um, will do their job and they will put out the fire and they will use a lot of water to do that. Um, So there is a lot of, in that case specifically at the Museum of Chinese America, there was a lot of materials that did not suffer fire or smoke damage, but were wet, um, were completely submerged in water. Um, And if you do not react to that quick enough, that water that was used to eliminate the fire can now sit there, saturate materials, turn into humidity, and then start to cause second start to cause secondary damage in the in the form of mold or microbial growth if that climate isn't addressed and if those collections aren't addressed. So what Polygon did was we responded in an emergency situation uh, when the building was accessible, deemed accessible by the Department of Buildings um, and other New York City agencies. We were one of the first responders in there to start removing those critical pieces and collections that the museum had identified. Um, And then after those collections were removed, we worked with the customer to help stabilize and regulate the climate um, that they had for the rest of their materials. Um, And then after that, we worked with them on some other decision-making processes. They had to go through their inventory um, and decide whether or not the remaining materials were something that they wanted to salvage or that they wanted to discard. And we worked with them on site in a safe fashion to help them sort through those materials and designate each one of those items um, for the next step in services. Now, as you build proactive strategies here, how does document scanning, right, the 
digital twinning of these important documents and artifacts. How does that play into your strategy for proactive as well as reactive response to these situations, right? Is that an entirely different mitigation strategy or is that something that you recommend as part of, hey, if you want to build some resiliency, back up your documents, right? What are your thoughts? Yes. You know, we always like to tell customers that if they can back up a item, a record digitally, then we recommend it Um, just for that reason. Uh, you never know what is going to happen. And, you know, being in this industry, you know, it, it does happen, um, especially when it's, when it's unexpected. So we always recommend to back up those items digitally. In a lot of cases, these materials cannot be backed up digitally. They are specific, um, you know, well, they're specific to, uh, they require specific digital scanning equipment to be backed up. So, um, you know, we would work with the customer and helping them find the best fit for that service, um, or as or if it cannot be done, um, we work with them to find the best storage solution um, so that those materials don't suffer any damage. Well, one of, one of the other nice things that I think is often overlooked with digital storage is kind of two things, actually. One, you know, where do you keep your digital storage? Do you have um, a local digital storage? Well, if it's local, it's susceptible to the same fire that might damage the hard copies. Um, so is it cloud-based? You know, Polygon has a nice cloud-based system that's, you know, fully secured and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so that, that helps keep you in two different places. If something happens to the original, you have a backup off-site somewhere else. If there's some sort of a hard drive issue off-site, that doesn't affect the hard copy. So, you know, having things spread out helps. Um, and the, the other thing along with that is if, if you can digitalize some of your relics or, you know, imaging or whatever it might be, that might allow you to keep the physical copies in two different places. Instead of having them all together, you could have some displayed digitally while the other ones are in storage offsite, and then you can maybe flip or something like that. So again, the more you can be proactive about separating, you know, that sort of thing, you mitigate your risk so that you don't have everything in the same place. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. You got to build as many safety nets as possible in these strategies. It's probably not a good idea to put your eggs all in one basket all the time. So yeah, I I see why that is so uh, critical for these institutions. So again, we've been bringing Polygon more concretely into the conversation now. So what I wanna do to start to wrap is further connect the dots here with where does Polygon fit into the uh, document recovery strategy world in these two industries? And how are you assisting specifically with your solutions and services? So let's break down first how you're helping your partners build resiliency for unexpected events. So this would be more of the reactive stuff, right? Stuff you can't really predict as much, stuff that um, you know shows up on short notice, but that is a critical issue that you need to address. What are your strategies there in general? How do you assist and to what effect? Yes, I, I think for us, in order to be reactive, we work with the customer on being proactive. Uh, and in that case, we have um, different programs that we offer. Uh, one is called Code Blue. Uh, it's an internal name that we use. We also have another one that's called the Priority Client Program. And within those programs, um, essentially, we work to exchange critical information, both from Polygon and from the customer. It's it's a two-way street. And we exchange the information that would be pertinent to a disaster response situation. An emergency preparedness plan is designed to help you best and most efficiently respond to a disaster. So each organization, each university is different. 
And as we work with them, we try to find what is unique about those universities, um, you know, what may be their priorities, what may be their high priority areas, their high risk areas. We exchange general information, contact information, um, logistic information, site information, uh, so that we have it on file um, and accessible so that in the event of emergency, we, we receive a phone call from the customer, we can access their information, and we know exactly what it is that we're responding to um, ahead of time. When you have to do that on the fly or in the heat of the moment while you're responding to an emergency, it can cause a lot of hurdles, um, which in the end will hinder or delay your response, which can cause more damage to the materials and also more cost to the customer. Um, so we work to be proactive so that in the event of an emergency, we can respond efficiently. And we have several different programs of, that are available for customers, both free and um, that are, are paid subscription versions um, to help facilitate that response. The only thing I'd add to what Matt said is the piece to the puzzle that, that Polygon adds, like we were talking about earlier, is you know we, we see things from all over the place, not just in the Northeast, not just on the West Coast, not just in the Gulf, not just in Europe. You know, We can take this kind of melting pot of information that we have, and we can help you plan for the unexpected. Um, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail, and you know those those things that are even pretty far down the totem pole. Um, you know, the the more things we plan for, the the less likely it is that it'll be as catastrophic as it might be if we didn't. Now, I mean, you mentioned it here. This really is a positive feedback loop. I guess a chicken and the egg scenario, right? Uh, being efficiently reactive also comes from investments in proactive strategies because there's no better way to be able to react in the moment if you're covering all your bases day in and day out to mitigate as many challenges as possible. So can you give us some perspective on how you recommend your partners build oversight strategies for daily upkeep? And again, how do you actually build those out in a way that is sustainable and actionable every day so these institutions can put them to work for their needs? And, and I think that's a huge part of it is, you know, is, is the application of these preparedness plans. And um, yeah, that, that is something we work with. And, and I always like to tell the customers that these preparedness plans are essentially alive. You know, they're, they're constantly evolving. They're constantly changing. So I like to have monthly or quarterly meetings with customers to review the emergency preparedness plans on a basic level, just to see if any of the information has changed, if maybe a site has changed, uh, new contact information, maybe uh, a contact has left or has been added to the plan. Uh, so we like to review those. And then the next step is um, having risk and readiness best practices. And Polygon has partnered with um, some other organizations, some not-for-profit organizations, one being the Council of State Archivists, and on their website, we have a list of these best practices. And a lot of it is um, centered around training, um, going through fire drills, so to speak, uh, where a staff will literally go through the stages of a, an event of emergency and, 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 and go through how they would respond accordingly um, and then do a, a follow-up, you know, what worked, what didn't work. Um, we also provide workshops, uh, hands-on workshops for customers to show them the actual services that we do. You know, we will put a box of files or papers in water, uh, submerge them so that they have water damage. And then in front of the customer, we can show them how we would remove those from a facility, how we would dry them, how we would clean and treat those materials. Um, so we try to be uh, a, a educational source for the customers as they work through their disaster plan, because it is something that's you know, never completely finished and is always being tweaked or adjusted to fit their situation. And I think Nick could probably touch on 
the monitoring aspect of it and what we develop uh, with customers to monitor their space. Yeah, thanks. That's that's a great uh, segue there. It's and that's what I was thinking kind of while you were talking was the the bow on everything, you know, is that ongoing monitoring, right? Um, you know, it's 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 something that that Polygon has in their repertoire and, and does rather well. And it's something that, you know, we keep up on, right? We're constantly upgrading it, constantly adding new sensors, watching to make sure that, you know, we're watching out for, you know, 5G's coming out in a few months. You know, are we ready for it? You know, what's gonna fall off that we need to upgrade to keep, you know, connectivity going and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, in the event that, you know, maybe you do have that deep freeze that you weren't expecting and the pipe breaks, well, do you know about it today, tomorrow, next week? You know, the sooner you know, the better. And having those alarms and ongoing, you know, monitoring in place um, with something like an exact air system can be all the difference between a, a small problem and a big problem. And that distinction is is really the, I think, the core of the conversation here, right? That distinction between small and big problems should center most of these strategies because you don't want to let small problems turn into the big ones. Uh, and you know, building resiliency to address the small problems early, as well as building reactive strategies to jump on the big problems that you can't predict and control, really lay out the two fields where I think these institutions are going to find some success in saving their important documents. So I think on that note, in summary, we'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast. So thank you again to the two of you, Matt and Nick, for helping us understand why this is so important in both the university and library and broader museum context as well, uh, and why these macro trends and why these strategies should play into broader, more holistic facilities management strategies for these institutions as well. Again, we've been chatting with Matt Deesers, National Product Manager with Polygon, and Nick Klein, Director of Client Development, also with Polygon. Matt, Nick, any final comments or last words here for our audience as we wrap the conversation? Yeah, I would just say, you know, thank you for having me today. And, uh, you know, please reach out to Polygon if we can help with any of your disaster preparedness plans or emergency responses. And if you are developing a plan, um, you know, try to do it. Uh, keep, keep in mind that you're planning for the worst and hoping for the best and that each plan is different and should be catered to your specific needs. Yeah, I think the, the last thing I would mention and put out there is, you know, that we, we understand that it's, it's not just about, um, you know, the money or the time or the manpower. Um, you know, when libraries, universities, you know, these types of places, we're often talking about one of a kind things. These are irreplaceable, you know, pieces of history that, um, you know, catching early or prevention um, is the difference of something being lost in history and something moving forward in time. So that that's what we're here to do. And that's what we're here to help with. Um, so if, if we can help and you feel like, you know, that'll work for you, we're here to help. Yeah, great point. You know, the impact of losing these historical documents is hard to quantify and shouldn't even be something, honestly, that we try to quantify. I mean, uh, it shouldn't be taken lightly. We <laughs> can look back at uh, one of the, I guess, most culturally ingrained examples of this, but the Library of Alexandria hundreds uh, of years ago burning to the ground the impact of all of the history and art and learning lessons that were lost there are almost impossible to quantify, right? You can't literally break down what 
would have been different about society today if all of this still existed. But we do know that it's a huge loss. And the fact that we can't quantify the impact is almost what makes it so weighty, right? So I think the historical weight of these documents, art pieces, uh, literary classics, etc., is important to carry through as the motivator for these facilities investments. And I'm glad that Polygon is helping these important historical treasures get the protection they deserve. And uh, I'm glad Polygon is there to guide these institutions on how to do so effectively. So thanks again to the two of you, Matt Deesers, Nick Klein. It's really been a pleasure and we'll chat again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Ideal Conditions, a Polygon podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes or you want to make sure you don't miss out on future thought leadership from the team, make sure you're heading to our website, polygongroup.com. Again, polygongroup.com for more information on our solutions and services and also for a full catalog of previous episodes and notifications when we drop new ones. If you really want to make sure you don't miss out on future stuff, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to Ideal Conditions. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Polygon's podcast.